Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Psalm 1, 1 through 6 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Some 30 times in the Bible, over 30 times in the Bible, the scripture commands believers in both Old Testament and New to be strong in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord. God says to uh, Joshua as he's beginning his ministry as a leader, leading uh, God's people into a new land, he says, be strong and very courageous. Paul, writing in the New Testament, says to Timothy, The uh, young pastor, he says to him, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? Be strong. To the Ephesians, Paul writes and says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In this series that we're in, Stronger, we're examining where strength for life is found and how it is kept. Now, we saw last week as we began in Psalm 1, how Psalm 1 points us to an answer. In this psalm that we have before us, we have a a sober, simple look at life as it really is. Human life as it really is for all of us. And, And that life presents us with one of two choices. The human author David contrasts those Two choices, showing us how the lifestyle of the blessed or the lifestyle of the, of the righteous person is different from the lifestyle of the wicked or of wrongdoers. And so you'll notice with me in Psalm 1 that David describes what a, a, a righteous person doesn't do as that righteous person lives. And by implication in verses one and two, he shows what wicked people do as they live their lives. Look at verse one. He says, the wicked or the blessed don't live by the counsel or definitions of a good life that the world gives. They don't walk in or live by the counsel of the wicked. They don't join, secondly, the world in its pursuit of the things they believe will give a good life. They don't stand in the way of sinners. And finally, verse one says, the righteous don't mock God's definition. They don't question God's definition of a good life nor his methods for it. Instead, verse two says, the righteous celebrate and live by God's definition and by his methods. What they do, this verse two says, is they, uh, they uh, delight in the word of God or the law of God that we said involves his 
teaching his commands and his story. They delight in the law of God and then they turn around and delighting in it, delighting in God's definition of a good life and delighting in God's methods for a good life. They live their lives meditating on his law, his teaching, his directions, his story. They meditate on that day and night. Day and night, they ponder constantly God's definition of a good life and God's methods. They are plotting and they're planning, and I love this picture, constantly, how can I live the life that God prescribes? How can I have the life that God offers? They're plotting it, they're planning it, they're seeking to do it in everything they do. If they're teachers, they're plotting and planning that good life that only God can give. If, if they're plumbers, if they're firefighters, if they work in banking, whatever they do, whatever they do, they're plotting, they're, pl they're, they're planning to live out their lives according to God's definition of what a good life is and according to his methods. When one's lie, uh, delight, we saw last week, when, one, when, when a person's delight is in God's design, then their life becomes good. But here's the, here's the rule, here's the law. Your delight has to be in his design. Now, it's so important to see, and we saw this last week, that David writes this psalm for believers, for people who have declared that they will live a righteous life. Why? Because being a believer, and this is so important, doesn't guarantee that we will choose to live a righteous life. Believers still have a choice. We can live before God righteous and therefore blessed, or believers can choose to live a life that, that is drifting from him and go from delighting in him and living by his word for the good life to delighting in the definitions and methods that the world uses of a good life. And that drift, we said last week, is serious. Now, to show us just how serious it is, I want you to notice with me that David moves on. He's contrasted the two lifestyles. Then he's going to contrast in verses three and four the fruit that comes from those lifestyles. And then he's gonna contrast for us in five and six the end of those two lifestyles. And I want us to see those this morning. He shows us two kinds of fruit coming from these two kinds of lives, two possible outcomes from those two uh, kinds of lives and living. And then he points us ultimately to that one decision that believers can make again and again and again. Now, I want you to look with me at verses three and four. Let's see what David has to say about the two kinds of fruit that come from two ways of living. Every way of life, he's saying here, has consequences. And he uses two very graphic pictures to describe these consequences. And with them, he gives a wake-up call to those who are drifting, and he gives an encouragement to those who are being faithful. Notice with me in verse 3, the kind of person, the, the righteous person, the kind of person who lives delighting in what God desires and produces, that person, he says, is like a certain kind of tree. Notice what he says. This tree is 
planted in, in, near streams of water. This person is planted. Uh, the word can mean also transplanted, but the, this person is planted in a well-watered place. And that means this person who lives that righteous life, who pursues that righteous life, who is constantly delighting in the, in the law of God, who is constantly plotting and pondering, that person lives the kind of life that is very, very secure. This life so rooted in the streams of God's word and his truth is a life supplied with all it needs to survive right where God has planted it. It's a beautiful picture. This life is like this person. This righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water. And it's an extraordinary, there's an extraordinary application that immediately comes out of that. The person who will dare to choose to live a righteous life, who meditates on God's law and who, who does it day and night, Plotting and planning, always plotting and planning. That person finds their life is always incredibly secure. That person finds no matter what happens in the course of life, they always have all they need to be strong wherever they are, whatever they're facing. That was the lesson that, that Christ taught Paul. And it, he records for us in 2 Corinthians 12. Jesus says to him at one point, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? For my power is made perfect in your weakness. My strength flows when your weakness is acknowledged and you're constantly resting on me. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, he's saying, my grace is sufficient. You can count on me. I am not going to fail you. You're weak in yourself, but you can be strong in me. Notice, secondly, this tree, this tree is not only well-watered, well-supplied, and therefore secure, but this tree is fruitful, therefore purposeful and useful. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way before, but a fruit tree bears fruit, and that fruit that it bears is never for the good of the tree. It never bears fruit for itself. The, the, the fruit from that tree inevitably becomes, it has the potential to become a blessing for others. The person that a righteous life produces is a person whose life is uh, so close to the source of strength that that person is always bearing a fruit that blesses others. He or she has an impact. They make a difference. They leave others better and by them, God brings a taste of the blessing he means to bring to the world. Thirdly, this tree is unwithering, David says, and therefore resilient. The idea is that uh, when, when David says the leaf does not wither, the idea is not that this tree never loses its leaves, but rather that it can take the heat. It can take the droughts of, of life, especially in the summer when fruit is being born. It can take the heat and the droughts of life and still thrive. This person, this tree, is not free of the pressures of life, but is able to press through them because of the way it lives. The end result of this is that in all he does, David says, he prospers. And the word therefore prospers means to move ahead and to move ahead with strength. 
And so this is the consummate picture of God's good life in a broken world and how it can be lived, secure and purposeful and resilient and constantly growing and strong. This is really, at the end of the day, what every human being wants and what every human being searches for, a life that is strong and blessed and full. The righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing its fruit in season. Its leaf never withers. He always prospers. Now, compare with me, if you would, the righteous and the faithful with the sad picture of the wicked and the faithless. The scripture says, David says, they are like chaff. Now, in the ancient world, grain would be threshed and, or crushed to separate the kernel from the, uh, of the grain from the husk and the straw around it. And the mixture was tossed up in the air. The breeze would blow the chaff away. The seed would fall back down to the threshing floor, and they would gather up the seed in order to make bread. Chaff represents, in this, in this picture, the husk of a life built from the habitual choices that uh, the wicked make in verse one, walking, uh, wrong walking, wrong thinking, wrong standing, wrong behaving, wrong sitting, wrong, and, and, and wrongful mocking. Chaff is an image for anything that's unstable and light and worthless. Every life, David is saying, that's lived by human design becomes finally like worthless chaff. Now granted, the lives of the wicked often appear full of life and goodness, full of strength and happiness. The, the Psalms don't deny this. In fact, some of the most powerful Psalms in the, in the whole book are actually complaints saying, God, why do the wicked prosper? And yet David is saying right out of the gate in this, in this gateway Psalm, David is saying that the end of that life is actually an empty, uh, uh, empty end. David's picture here means uh, that what appears to us can actually be deceiving. Believers need to see and believers need to remember, and this is his point, the natural end of such a life. He's making the point that any life lived unrooted in the life-giving God and in his word and truth is going to experience emptiness and weakness and loss sooner or later. That kind of life is destined to be unstable and light and worthless. So I want you to think with me, if you would, this morning about this vase of cut flowers. I want you to see this vase of cut flowers. Now, I want you to notice something with me. It's beautiful. You'll have to take my word for it, but it really smells good. It's got a beauty to the smell about it. I mean, it is a, it is a beautiful arrangement of flowers. I want you to see that. I don't know if you've ever thought about it though, but somewhere in this world, each of those flowers was growing. Somewhere in this world, every one of those flowers was rooted and in, in, in uh, life-giving soil and was growing. But as soon as every one of these flowers was cut, it was for all intents and purposes dead. So guys, every time you bring one of these to your wife, you're really bringing her a bundle of dead stuff. <laughs> it's not really the message you want to be sending, so maybe you should get something that's potted next time. But here's what I want you to see. 
When your world, and it does every day, holds out to you Louis Vuitton and says, this is life. This is life. When it holds out pleasure and says, if you have this, this is life. When, when it holds out to you comfort, when it holds out to you experiences and says, oh, look, 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 how beautiful. And, and it is. It is. I, I don't know about the Louis Vuitton thing, but, but experiences can be. And pleasure can be a wonderful thing. But our world is constantly holding out to us an understanding of life. A, a, a perspective, a philosophy of life that says, if you have this, then you'll live. If you'll make money, then you'll live. If you own this kind of car, that kind of car, or, or experience this kind of success, here it is, here it is. See how beautiful it is. Smell it. Smell it. And it is. For a while. What David is really saying is, when you hear that, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this. Because in the end, you, 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 you never have enough Louis Vuitton bags. You never have enough European vacations. You never have enough power. You never have enough acceptance. You never have enough accomplishment. You, you never have enough of any of that. If you really want to understand the end of life, you've got to understand there are two ways to live. One of them is incredibly beautiful. But in the end, it's all chaff. It's light. It gets blown away. It's worthless. See, there's not a woman in this room or man. Gotta be careful these days. <laughs> Who wants this? You bring this home to your wife, you are in serious trouble. Am I right, ladies? She's going to be going, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. Fire's gone. We want that. But here's the reality. This is already dead. And any life, any Life built around truth that is not God's. Any life that is based on a definition of the good life that is not his, that uses any other method than his method for a good life, is already dead. Here's the warning from David. You can be a believer 
This is the reason why he's writing this psalm to believers. This is why he's holding out the two, the two lives that are, that are present in the world, a righteous life and a wicked life. The reason he's doing that is, is, is not simply to say this is who you once were and this is who you now are. He's saying, here are two ways to live and you can still choose. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to chase again the definitions and the methods of, of a good life that the world has defined for you and end up at the end with that. And so there's this urgency, and this is why this gateway psalm is so important. It kind of sets the tone. It's almost as if every psalm after this one says, choose, choose, choose. Why do the wicked proper prosper? Later psalms will ask. David would say, go back to Psalm 1. Do you really think they do? Choose. The great temptation when we see the wicked prosper is to do what they do in order to have what they have and experience what they experience. Anyone building a life that isn't rooted in the soil of God's word and God's truth is building a dead life. Now, here's what I see some Christians doing. I might as well just press this illustration all the way to the max. I see some Christians who, who literally have drifted and they're trying to live a, a drifting life and they're trying to maintain that drifting life. It's a miserable life to live. They're chasing money. They're chasing power. They're chasing prestige. They're chasing accomplishment. They're just chasing all kinds of things that if you chase them as the end of life or as the, pers- the point of life, you know, it's, it, it brings decay and, and, and death and disappointment. But I see, I see believers, and I've seen these all my years of ministry, and I've tried this myself, so I'm just speaking for me and maybe you. But there is this tendency to, to start to drift from the things of God, to, 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 to try to delight in him and to delight in the world. And, and I, see, I see believers drifting, and it's almost as if to me, like what they try to do is, from Monday through Saturday, I mean, they're hitting it hard. They're pursuing, they're chasing everything the world is chasing. On Sunday morning, they stop for a minute, and, and they try to redial their hearts and minds to delight in the things of God and to hear his word and delight in his word. And then as soon as they're out, they're back chasing again. They're back chasing again. It's like they've taken the miracle grow of God's word and of being with his people and they're taking a little bit of miracle grow and trying to stick it in this vase thinking it's gonna make these flowers grow. Or if they've been at it a while, they're starting to realize this really isn't worth what I thought it was. And they try to put a little bit of miracle grow in here as if it's going to make a difference. You can't add miracle grow to dead flowers. And you can't add little snippets of the word of God and a little bit of time with God's people to a life that's being built on dead truths and dead definitions of what a good life really is. Why 
what you wind up with, hear, hear me, loved ones, what you wind up with is that. You wind up with chaff. That's what you wind up with. Smells good, looks good. You don't believe me, you tried after the service. So I want to underscore this one final time. Believer, you can drift. You can be genuinely God's in Christ, but in the end, live a life so compromised by choosing to delight in the counsel and behavior of the world. Counsel and behavior that aren't good and aren't God's. Because they, 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 they substitute God for good things. You can live so compromised that most of your life, in the end, isn't worth keeping. That explains why David goes on to show the two possible outcomes of each way of life. Look at verses five and six. The two ways of life with their particular fruit ultimately leads to one of two specific ends. They're both presented here in verses five and six, but the focus is on the end of the wrongdoer's life because David is trying to drive home his point. Verse five points to a coming day when all will account for their lives. On that day, the wicked who walked their own way instead of God's way, who stood practicing the sin they thought was the true secret of life and those who sat and scoffed at God's way, he says two things. He, they will not stand in judgment and they will have no place in, among God's people. They won't stand in judgment. In other words, they will have no leg to stand on when they stand before a holy God, the designer, the maker of heaven and earth, the designer of, the, of their lives, the one who gave them their life and gave them their life so that they might live it for, for him. They will have no leg to stand on. They'll have no case to defend their choice to delight in everything other than God. And that means further that they'll have no place in God's people, which means no place with God. It means being cut off from life. They will, uh, like chaff, ultimately perish, the, uh, the scripture says, separated from him forever. Why? The wicked perish because their life's choice was to value self and devalue God. And valuing self over God, they ultimately devalue themselves and give themselves the gift of a worthless life. It's a tragedy, the great tragedy of sin is that first we devalue God and then we devalue ourselves. It's the great tragedy of sin in every believer's life. When we allow it to stay in our lives, we suddenly find we're living a life not worth living. Every journey away from God ends with a cliff and carries those who take the journey over it every single time. 
By contrast, where the wicked never really knew him and God never knew them as his, verse six says that the way of the righteous is known by God. His knowledge of those who are truly his people is personal. The idea is that because the righteous are his, he's been with them day in and day out. He knows that they, they trusted him. He knows how they have lived. But of course, his knowledge of those who are truly his is also uh, is not just personal. It's also problematic. Why? Because as we've said, believers have a decision that they will make and keep making in all of life. It is that decision between two lifestyles. It's a decision about what they will live delighting in. And the truth is, we, not one of us has always made the right decision. We haven't always delighted in him as we should or as we could. Every believer finds a battle inside over this choice. And the truth is that none of us have a perfect record of victory. But there's still in us a bent toward self. There's still in us a desire to, de to define what a good life is for ourselves. There's still a, a, a yearning in us to, to come up with our own method for how to live and how life really should work. There's still this temptation in us to, to barter and to kind of play the game of just shaving off some of God's requirements and doing a little of, a little of his way and a little of our way. Always this strong pull to join others in pursuing a life that seems good, even though it leads to decay and death. And here's the reality. This can be one of the most discouraging and defeating aspects of the Christian life. Some of you in this room have actually given up. You've actually given up because you tried to do the drifting thing. You tried to do the compromise thing. You've tried to go after the, the, the cut flowers and you've wound up here again and again and again. And you've said, Lord, I'm sorry. And you've gone right back more to cut flowers and right back there to, the, to, to, to uh, death and decline again and again and again. And after a while, you have come to a place in, in truth where you've said, I'm just hoping one day a little bit of miracle grow will work. And some of you have just given up altogether on living a blessed life. You really don't believe verses one and two are for you. You really think they only belong to pastors. Or you, you, you really think they only belong to, to certain people who have some extraordinary capacity. And the reality is that you've given up. And some of you have actually gotten to the point where you go, I know where it's heading there, but I love it when it's right here. So I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay right here where it smells good and looks good until it doesn't. And a lot of us live as a result of that defeated lives. But what, what in the end encourages and strengthens faithful believers to live blessed is remembering both the fact that God has always had a plan and made the promise to give the good life to those who will receive him and that he would then empower them, strengthen them to follow him. It's remembering that he's worked his plan. It's remembering that he's kept his promise 
It's remembering that while there, there isn't any hope that the Bible ever gives, that any of us can or will be righteous in our own strength or delight in his desires or find his good life on our own, while the Bible doesn't give us any reason to hope that we can ever stop being on our own and having a chaff life, of grasping for cut flowers, of treating them like they have life and, and, and like they'll last forever, while there is no hope that we will ever do that, God has made a way for us to have a leg to stand on in the judgment and to have a way and to have a place among his people. How did he do it? He sent us a Psalm 1 man. You see, in the end, Psalm 1 foreshadows Jesus. He's the only truly blessed man who's ever lived. Son of God came to this earth, took on human flesh, and though he loved us, he never walked where we walked. He never stood where we stood. He never sat where we tend to sit. He delighted in the law of his father and his delight in his father's desires didn't fail even when it meant his death. The story, uh, the gospels, if you will, the, the, the New Testament gospels are really the story of Jesus pondering and plotting and planning to do his father's will at every season and at every moment in his life. He used his life to follow his father's teaching, to obey his father's commands, and to fulfill his father's purpose by being he, the chief actor in the father's great story of redemption. And so Jesus became like the tree we could never be on our own. Planted by streams of water, his life bore the ultimate fruit in its season, dying as he did in the place of sinners. The leaf of his life endured the heat and pressure of death and hatred and punishment in our place. And instead of withering under it, the resurrection proved that his good life endured and so endured that his resurrection life is now a fruit that can be shared. All that Jesus set out to do, he prospered, defeating everything that had set itself against his father, against his life, against us. That's what every believer in this room needs to remember. Psalm 1 is not really shouting to us, be righteous, be righteous, be righteous. Be like the blessed man. It's not really shouting to us, be blessed. It's pointing us to Jesus and saying, go to him. It's pointing us to Jesus saying, go to him. It's pointing us to Jesus and saying, you can be a strong tree planted by living waters because he is the water of life. He gives the water of life. You can be a fruitful tree that doesn't fail and, and by faith in him, you, you can bear fruit for him. You can because he did. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 1. But every believer in this room right now, every one of us is either drifting from him or drawing near him. Drifting from him or drawing near him. Drifting from him means we're getting weaker. Drifting, uh, drawing near to him means we're getting stronger. 
And at the end of the day, if we're followers of Christ, we have the power of this choice won for us by Jesus to draw near and get strong. And loved ones, what I want you to see today is that every time you and I, as we're making our way through whatever issue we're making our way through, whatever problem we're facing, whatever challenge we're experiencing, that every time we make an intentional, conscious effort to respond to that situation according to God's good laws for life, his design for it, with every choice we make, we're building strength into our lives. We're building resilience into our lives. Your little problems lived well now are going to prepare you for the big problems you'll experience later. But every choice we make to pursue the world's method when we face an issue, face a problem, face a challenge, builds weakness into our lives and opens us up to all kinds of destruction and defeat. So believer, you're either growing strong or you're growing weak. You're either becoming blessed or you're heading for ruin. If you're drawing, drawing near, growing strong, becoming blessed, the reality is you can only thank Jesus for his choice to delight his Father and save you. But if you're drifting, growing weak, and failing in life, you can only blame yourself and your choice to delight yourself in the world instead of in him. Delight is the decision before all of us this day and every day. I want to say to you, if you would delight in him, you've got to fight for that delight. This is really what the good fight of faith is all about. When Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, he said, I have fought hard to keep my heart set on Christ. No matter what came to me, my heart, I fought hard to keep my heart set on Christ to make him my delight. If you're in Christ, you can start now to do what it takes to keep God's good law for life before you day and night. You can fight to keep from drifting from one delight in Christ to some other. You can plot and plan how to keep your heart and your mind focused on the word of God and the God of the word. You can preach the gospel to yourself. Remind your heart and your mind what Christ the blessed man has done for you. The tree that he is, the water he provides, the fruit that he gives, the resilience that he had that he passes on to you. You've got to fight in the power of the word and the spirit against those delights. You know what they are. And every single person in this room has got delights that always trip you up, that shift your eyes and your heart and your mind from Christ to something else. You've got to fight. You've got to know what that is. And you've got to battle it with the word. There's no other way to fight than with the scripture. When you start to feel yourself drifting, when your eye starts to drift, you gotta fight. Do whatever it takes. Buy yourself some dead flowers. I am not so sure that's not a bad idea that every house in this church has one vase of dead flowers sitting somewhere where everybody can see it. 
Not a good idea? No? There's one house that will not have any. <laughs> but I'm not sure my wife would let me either. <laughs> but there's something powerful about that visual, isn't there? Don't chase it. It's not worth it. Don't chase it. It's not worth it. You've got to fight. For your delight. Your delight decides your direction. Tell you what's ultimately been really powerful for me personally is that I know that one day I'm going to stand before the Father and I can show him this, he won't be impressed. But the truth is, this isn't going to make it before the Father. What will make it before the Father is what my life produced. And if I spent my whole life chasing something other than Jesus throwing in a little bit of miracle grow when I could. At the end of the day, when I stand before him, I'll have a leg to stand on because I'm in Christ. But that doesn't mean that I'll be proud of what I stand with. It's just a powerful thing to me in my mind to remember Jesus didn't die for this. You're not going to say, well done, you had some great vacations. My, what a collection of purses you had. Oh, see the money you made. Wow house you had, the cars you drive, the things you accomplish. Oh my goodness. I'm so, so impressed. I don't think so. Chaff. <laughs> On that final day, what he's going to want to see is did I come to have the character of Jesus in my life? Did I live my life on mission? Did I leverage my life to point other people to Christ? Did I tell others about Christ? Did I live a life of gospel-shaped deeds? Did I use gospel words to invite people to Christ? That's what he wants to see in my hand. Everybody else chases. But a life that looks like Jesus. And some others who found their way to him 
because from the fruit he bore, I bore fruit. Help them come to know his healing and his help. His love. I spent my life pondering and plotting and planning how to put him on display and to help others find their way to him who is the resurrection. So I want to do something a little different today for uh, our response time. We always have a response time. Maybe in the chairs, maybe up front. We always, every time you hear the word of God preached, you've got to respond. You're either going to say yes or no. I know sometimes we try to say maybe, but a maybe is a no in the economy of God. <laughs> so it's a yes or a no. But I... Uh, I want to give us a chance to do one of two things today. I want to give us a chance today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to give you a chance today to run to the Father and praise Him for what He's done for you in Christ Jesus. You can be a blessed woman because Jesus was the blessed man. And you, 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 right now, you may be in a, one of those wonderful places in your life where you're growing in him spiritually and his mercies are new every morning and you're, you're in his word and, and, and he's meeting you there and your life's being changed and it sometimes doesn't feel so good, but it, he's changing your life. He's remaking you, reshaping you, molding and making you like Christ. And really all you can do is run to him and say, Lord God, I, bless you for what you're doing because I know apart from you I can do nothing and in me there dwells no good thing and yet you're doing such work and it's just you and I'm grateful and I'm thankful for Jesus I want to give you a chance to run to the Father and thank Him but if you're drifting today I want to give you the opportunity to run to the Father and say, I'm sorry. Bring him your flowers. Bring him these flowers too. Say, I know. Only you can give me life. So today, I'm coming back to you. Here is my life. Help me to delight in what you delight in. Help me to delight in your desires. Let's stand together all across the room. All across the room. All across the room. So we're going to make this a place of praise 
And we're going to make this a place of confession. We're going to make this a place of thanksgiving. And we're going to make this a place of restoration. So I'm inviting you to come. By the way, there's some of you here today. This is all you've ever known. This is all you've ever known to live for. The blessed man has come. The blessed life has come. And Jesus says to you, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, tired of carrying around heavy dead flowers, tired of carrying around light dead flowers. Come to me. Confess that the formula you've been living by is the wrong formula. Confess that the methods you've been using are the wrong methods. And come asking me and I'll forgive you I'll cleanse you. I'll give you a brand new life. I'll let you share in the fruit of that blessed man. New life and life eternal. So I'm going to invite our pastors to come and stand across the front. And if that's your decision today, I'd love for you slip out from where you are and just say ready for a new life if you're a believer and today you're ready to rejoice I invite you to come the place of rejoicing is open if you're returning to him the place of return is here come as we sing together come running to the Father thanks for joining me today if you enjoy these podcasts take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.